1: Hello and welcome to the Book Riot Podcast. We're a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and we're talking about the world of books and reading. Recording on Friday, April first, twenty twenty two. I'm Jeff O'Neill here with Rebecca Shinsky, coming to you from BookRiot.com. Recording on April first. You know, it's in the top ten of my least favorite days of the year, predictably. You know, (laughs) in hindsight it's gonna be what happens, but I don't like April Fools, you don't like April Fools, Mm -hmm. the internet has made it worse. Do you have you seen any of the book related April Fool stuff floating around today?
0: I have not. It's early enough in my mm-hmm. morning. I mean, it's even earlier in your morning that, yes. and I have not like gone into the wider world of the internet. I've read the actual news today, and I think that okay. might be all I do. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. Are there well,
0: highlights, lowlights?
1: They're all lowlights. Show title <laughs> at this point. Um, I seen. I saw one from Kobo. I saw one from Edelweiss, and I think that's what got me thinking about. It's that middle tier of like you're not quite a news org, but you also aren't just some thing right you're just mm-hmm. not just like tweeting stuff out like c n n doesn't do April jokes right. right like also don't do that um also, I guess bookright is kind of the right strata where you might expect or you might think that's the kind of thing the entity that does an April Fool's joke where it's not quite news, but it's also not not news. So it's plausible mm-hmm. that some rando, bizarre story. So uh, the Edelweiss one was like dog readers. I don't. I didn't. Even, I I saw that and I'm like, you know, this is not real. I knew what day it was. I was like, I don't want to do that. So I'm not mm. even sure what that was. Kobo's was slightly more plausible. Uh, smello reading, right? Oh. So that you're an e-reader that does sense as it goes. And this is plausible because... I, I think there even might be some movie theaters out there that do this that like pump smells in yes, at the same yeah. time. I've never done this. I don't need that. Stay on no. my nose, movie theater. I don't need any of that situation. <laughs> out of my nose. <laughs> and so, like, I was like, but is it even funny? Like, no, it's not funny. Like, what's the last April Fool's joke? You're like, you know, well done, Jeeves. That was an A plus, <laughs> whatever. I never seen it so
0: it's it it feels like april fools is one of the first of all i'm not a fan in any of the dimensions but like that is if you need to celebrate it it seems to me that this is a thing to celebrate like in the physical world not the internet world if you need to do something like pull a silly prank or whatever but the internet is like it's bad enough and people as we know from the last several years are Generally terrible at detecting oh, I know. satire.
1: Cr- well, misinformation in general has made people <laughs> mis- fooled yes. like a terrible look.
0: It's all. It's just all of it it's just unnecessary the one that i saw i did see something on instagram this morning that was like a screenshot of one of the big art museums somewhere in the world had done basically a fun photoshop job that looked like a roller coaster ride going through one of their big galleries and it yeah. was like soon you'll be able to like take a coaster through the great works of modernism or, you know some, <laughs> and like that's funny and also obviously fake you know like okay you got into the spirit of it and someone spent five minutes in photoshop which is the maximum amount of time a Mm person person should spend like i think i spend a lot of time on april fool's day thinking about like how many conversations in some meeting did y'all have about how this was going to be your publication's April Fool's Day thing? Yeah. And then you wrote it and then you executed it. And Like, did you really feel good about the use of your
1: time? I don't On the other hand, when's the next time we're going to talk about Edelweiss or Kobo on the show? Oh. So that came out of her mouth? I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's the sum total. I'm, I'm a prank. I'm not a prank-forward human in general. I don't like <laughs> pranks.
0: You are not prank-forward. That's true.
1: <laughs> that's not my <laughs> mode of operation. I don't find it interesting valuable uh necessarily creative like abusing trust is just not that interesting
0: it's a lower (laughs) form of humor than the pun clearly which is a yeah which is a very low form
1: of humor (laughs) to start out with so that's something saying something about pranks um anyway so happy april fools i hope you don't if you enjoy april fools god love you i think it's probably harmless on the whole um but anyway stay careful out there Three days ago, people right. on the, the internet. The, uh, that,
0: the news we're talking about today is real.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're not going to... That's not something we would do. Though it'd be a funny bit to be like, say, what would be our five most... I don't know, most interesting, or I come up with five bookish April Fool's oh, jokes. So everyone or, knows we're coming up with them. Or, like, what if yeah. you were doing a brand management for, I don't know, Libro.fm, also the right kind of caliber where even it goes super sideways for them, it's not going to be bad. But uh, that's true. Uh, yeah, anyway. I think
0: that that's a fun game for the future. Or even just like uh, two truths and a lie, but with book headlines. Oh, I like
1: that. That's a good one. <laughs> that's a good one. So you're trying to parse the, the ridiculous from the merely plausible. Mm-hmm. Um, At that level. All right. Well, let's do our first sponsor. We'll come back to actual stuff we're talking about.
2: Today's episode is brought to you by Sourcebooks Landmark. So King Solomon says something very interesting to his son before he dies, and that is, quote, Don't let the white man take the house, end quote. This episode is sponsored by The One That Got Away With Murder by Trish Lundy. Robbie and Trevor Cressmont have enough wealth to ensure they'll never be found guilty of any wrongdoing, even if everyone believes they're behind the deaths of their ex-girlfriends. Let us all take a collective angry sigh at that. Lauren O'Brien, the new girl at school, has a dark past of her own, and she's desperate for a fresh start. Except when she starts a relationship with Robbie, her chance is put in jeopardy. During what's meant to be their last weekend together, Lauren stumbles across evidence that might just implicate Robbie. And after a third death rocks the town, she must decide whether to end things with Robbie or risk becoming another cautionary tale. This is an edge-of-your-seat YA thriller that's perfect for fans of Karen McManus and Holly Jackson. Make sure you pick that up now wherever books are sold. And thank you once again to The One That Got Away With Murder by Trish Lundy for sponsoring today's show.
1: I don't see any follow... I, I've got some listener email. I, I want to tell you some stuff about people, emailing about Atlas of the Heart. Oh, uh, please do. we talked about it. I wondered and about I th- that last I, week. I think in general, people were on our wavelength of feeling like it was an odd-shaped vessel for mm-hmm. what was in there. And But on the other hand, I think we eventually came around to... I, I, I think we came around to the idea that it is... I don't care about defending it, but there's a certain amount of commercial sense to making a capitalist object that people want to buy, but Mm -hmm. then having a little more meat on the bone than you might think of a... You know, basically a a published version of a bunch of embroidered throw throw pillows of Live, Laugh, (laughs) Love. It's not that. It's way more than that, is what we're saying. Right, Yeah. But it kind of feels like the packaging was that. Like, that's what you expect, but people are getting something more substantial. And does that serve the people buying it or the people who would like that kind of meat in that bone? And maybe there's a mismatch. Long story short, the book is selling. Your Mm -hmm. sister-in-law got two of them. Uh, So... Maybe this is concern trolling on our part. You know, I'm not, actually, you know, I'm is, not sure I'm was... very good at that t- t- term. Did I use that at all right
0: there? Uh, not No, well, You don't, you don't know either. maybe, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who are we worried about here? I don't think we're worried right. about anybody. I'm glad, no. I guess I feel validated by our listeners. And I have been thinking about this as I read more of Atlas of the Heart, and I haven't watched it yet, but the HBO Max thing dropped, I think yesterday as we're recording. And I think I have landed in the place of like, this world needs as much emotional literacy and awareness as possible. And Brene Brown is certainly good at boiling that down and delivering it. So if it takes a slick looking coffee table book to sort of like, you know, hide the medicine inside the piece of cheese for -hmm. people or like surprise slash trick them into encountering that kind of Information. I. This is a form of paternalism I feel fine about.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's that's right. Is it a bit of a Trojan horse, right? Um, mm-hmm. A, a t- Target horse? Because I do think my mental model now is this packaging is meant to entice the people rolling by the book section at Target.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's what mm-hmm. I think this is. I think you're right. I was at Target uh, with Michelle the other day, one of our you know, weekly inadvertent Target runs. Uh, we were actually on vacation last week, and our joke was, you know, part of vacation is going to Target. Should we just get out of the way? We ended up going to Target three times. <laughs> I was going to ask,
0: <laughs> how many times did you go to Target?
1: <laughs> and each time we're like, well, here we are. And we're like, we can't imagine what we're going to need. And there we go. That's Welcome to Family Vacations. Things happen. What are you going to say? So I was in a Target, and I walked, I, I walked, strolled, pushed the cart mm-hmm. by the books. And actually, interestingly, the Brene Brown uh, spinner is not subject merely to the book section. I've found it, it'll be up by the register. It could be somewhere oh, else. It could be in the okay. clothing. So they're trying to, you know, make it proximal to wherever you're going to be. You don't have to be just going by books to find it. Which I think is fascinating. It's more than just a book object. It's an object by itself. And I was because I wanted to flip through it. You know, you heard you talk mm-hmm. about it. I was like, okay, mm-hmm. there's more to it here. Damn what things were think? shrink-wrapped, Rebecca.
0: Oh, they were shrink-wrapped? And
1: I got an email from another person saying, I don't know if you know this, but in my local Target, they're shrink-wrapped, so I couldn't even thumb <sighs> through it, which makes me wonder even... I mean, I, that's not something you see very often. I don't think yeah, they're that's trying weird. to prevent you from flipping through it, but it tells me that flipping through it is not a necessary condition of buying it. That's how they're <laughs> packaging it.
0: That is so surprising. I yeah, ordered I, mine I from know. a bookstore... And it did not come shrink-wrapped. So now I'm going to have to go wander around like Barnes & Noble. Listeners, if you've been in a Barnes & Noble, is it shrink-wrapped mm. there? Help us out.
1: We've had a couple of books we bought uh, personally in the O'Neill Black household of late that have been damaged, that we have returned. Oh, Do you know okay. does shrink-wrapping actually uh, lessen the instance of damage? I don't think so. What's the point of it then? Because I thought question. the same thing. Then why are we What are we doing here?
0: well it would seem to me that you could also damage the uh dust ja- the dust jacket of a hardcover by shrink wrapping yeah, it like, the shrink
1: wrapping process itself
0: right would bend the corners in or something that's I, that's a great question i don't know
1: um and so the t- we we do tbr mytbr.co personalized mm-hmm. book review blah, blah 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 uh, there's a blurb blurb for it you can go check it out <laughs> great and um, we we've, we've got yeah so that's that's what we call brand <laughs> management rebecca i don't know if you know that um And we have a new office in Portland, and the TBR space has been brought on with the the business fingers part of the company a little bit more. So I'm seeing a little bit more back there. And Amanda P., who does most of our TBR fulfillment... I was just getting a quick tour of what's going on there. And I noticed one bookshelf had like this random assortment of books. And I was staring at it. And I couldn't. My brain was like trying to make connections. Like, what's going on? Oh, what she, are these? What are these? Uh, who Who's getting this collection? He's like, oh, those are the damaged copies. I was like, oh, that makes mm. more sense. And interestingly, d- depending on where the books come from, there's different return policies.
0: Yes, yes. So
1: some of the books, they're just like, I don't know, man. Do <laughs> you want to go bury it in your backyard? <laughs> that's fine. I don't care. And some of it, we want them back for accounting reasons or maybe QC or I don't know what's going on. But not – I wouldn't – this is one of those – I wish I would have guessed an over-under beforehand, of like mm. what percentage of the books. Now, again, I don't know – again, I didn't make Amanda P. do the thing I make you podcast with me about, which is like, <laughs> is this a reasonable sampling? Like over what time? Like all that kind of stuff. But there was quite a few there. Mm-hmm. And I would shrink ranking have helped? Hurt? I don't know enough about book handling to see – I've never occasion to do it uh, in any sort of – Any sort of way, but I did find myself wondering like, what is the virtue of shrimp wrapping a book? And then, really, any product. Like, I understand my only thought was it's big and heavy enough that maybe keeping the covers closed as -hmm. people are unpacking them at scale made it helpful maybe or, there were enough of them that that just made it easier for each individual unit to be handled because the weird thing is, about a book is it opens if yeah, you're just and you know it, stocking in the store. that
0: book is like it's heavy as you're saying yes. and it is kind of slick where i guess it's possible mm-hmm. that the dust jackets might slide off and get right. damaged so I don't and is know. it only
1: for targets and the costcos and the walmarts of the world By they're buying hundreds or i guess possibly thousands I mean, of copies I'm, per store i don't
0: I'm know i'm trying to think like I can't recall ever having been in uh, like a Barnes and Noble or an indie that had books on the shelves or tables still in shrink wrap.
1: A single title, right. Right, single title. right. Sometimes you'll get yeah. a collection just to keep them Sure. All or right like
0: under. like a box yeah. set might be shrink-wrapped to keep exactly. everything in the box, but a, a single mm. title still in shrink wrap is not something I recall ever seeing out on display. I mean, just for the aesthetics alone, that's really unappealing.
1: Yeah. I don't, so there you go. Uh, lots of some experience. I'm just, look, I'm just looking through. I don't think any of the other. I'm just kind of looking at the corpus sure. itself to see any themes. I, people liked it, I guess. And okay. I think that's where we're coming at, too. It's like this is maybe different than if you're the kind of person that's listening to book podcasts like this, I'd say your book snobbery threshold is higher than on average. And so those yeah, of I us with a certain fair. book snobbish throbbery, thro- throbbish snobbery, <laughs> that's not right. That's, so that's robbery is the pod. next a, the, uh, the, uh, the next pod. story on this. Yeah, yeah, we'll get that show. in a minute. Um, Maybe pleasantly surprised about the substantial the substantiveness of uh, yeah. the book itself. So there, do that with well. will. People trying to find hats to throw into the Sandersonian ring oh, of like who okay. could do this, and I think failing. I, the I, I appreciate the effort. <laughs> um, another one mentioned recently was Jennifer L Armentrout, who has a oh. TikTok fantasy. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't think so. I don't know what you think about that one. Um,
2: I don't think so. Yeah,
1: I don't think so either. Now, here's the thing. Does it is some of this uh hindsight bias of like would Sanderson have crossed the Sanderson threshold for evaluation? <laughs> I
0: think <the laughs> answer to that is maybe well, no. Well, probably not. I well, I don't know. His audience is so big. I think if we had done the game in advance of like I could have gotten to genre, I think, mm. like what, like, mm. where is an author going to come from who could do a Kickstarter yeah. for, you know, four of their own books that they magically wrote during COVID and make millions of dollars? Where's that, where's that going to emerge? I would have, I think, gotten pretty quickly to probably sci-fi fantasy just from how the fandom yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: works there. Um, but I don't know that I would have gotten to Sanderson. Probably because the obvious answer would have been if we could believe he would have written four books during COVID, George R.R. R. Martin. Yep. Yeah.
1: Well, and also it's the exception that proves the rule, right? There was, there was no there was no game to play before this Dragonsteel Sandersonian. Like we didn't have a data point to even yeah. try to connect and- the dots to.
0: And outliers are outliers. Right. So trying to replicate them or looking for somebody else to be an outlier is sort of definitionally a fool's errand. Right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, that gets back to our
1: discussion. Is this, is this yeah. an out... Do we think this is largely an outlier or yes. could this be a pioneer? Which those are different kinds of things.
0: I think that it's possible that someone else might join him. There might be mm-hmm. a couple pioneer outliers, but the for this level of success and that amount of money that's an outlier amount of money like you could have a couple outliers but i don't think this is breaking ground for a bunch of people to follow and have the same kind of success
1: uh i guess i didn't have this on but while we're on the sandersonia i noticed the uh there are totals up to 32 mil um also uh this dragon steel industrial complex is running (laughs) facebook ads for the kickstarter because i saw some smart which makes sense I, i hadn't thought about now were they going to do that anyway? Or now you've got a hook. The most funded Kickstarter of all time. That's a pretty good slug line in a Facebook ad that's or Instagram true. ad or things to do. And uh, I guess it did it end or are we just coming up. In the, was it March? I should look. I maybe th- next time we'll do a full. I
0: think it was March. I feel like yeah. the last time we looked, he was maybe three weeks right. into it. So I believe it is over, but I haven't looked this week.
1: Uh, so that's 32 mil. I, I guess in terms of genre, social media, fandom, that's a good hook into our, our first proper story or link, I guess, mm-hmm. which is a story in the New York Times. Do you have the byline in front of you? I'm having a hard time opening it under my... I
0: do. It is yeah. by, oh, wait, where, uh, Elizabeth Harris.
1: Elizabeth Harris, who who does a... Re- she's one of mm-hmm. the... There's kind of a new wave of Times um, publishing culture beat reporters, uh, and she is is one of them, and she's really good talking about LBTQ romance booming. And I think it's an interesting corollary to the Sandersonian phenomenon because it's looking at, these are all books that I've seen around. Mm-hmm. Um, romance has been a beneficiary. I would say romance on the whole, and it sounds like even LBTQ has been a beneficiary, not just of like the TikTok phenomenon, but of self-publishing and mm-hmm. that phenomenon. So two things uh, converging in a wood here. And LGBTQ romance is up big, like 740% year over year, I think, is the big number yes. that we could talk about. 850,000 LGBTQ romance books sold at traditional retail outs in 2021, a 740 increase over a five-year period. Um, But I don't think any of the romance authors could do a Sandersonian thing or even thing like the only one that came to mind was maybe Julia Quinn, but she's got a Bridgerton show on yes. Netflix. Like that doesn't count. Like Sanderson doesn't have that. So I, that's an even different. I think that takes it outside of this known but unknown to the mainstream culture at all. Maybe Casey McQuiston. That's only two books, but it sold extremely well. That was my, if I had to pick one, Rebecca here. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what else to say. I this is a phenomenon that we've observed experientially with our eyes. We get a little bit more number here. Um You know,
0: this, I don't I, know. I think these numbers are a really nice corollary to Sanderson because he talked in that big FAQ piece that we mm-hmm. looked at a couple weeks into the Kickstarter about how he arrived at his predictions and it one of the numbers that he dropped was that like his best-selling title did something like 800,000 copies in the first I think the first year um it might have been the first month but one sanderson title like a one big sanderson title in a year is the equivalent of all of these LGBTQ romances together
1: <sighs> yeah at least and the sanderson number is in excess it seems to me of what is book book scan is capturing so i don't know if that also would apply That's here true. but the yeah. the point is well taken that it seems like the Sanderson direct-to-consumer-market machine. I mean, ain't none of these people have a Dragonsteel Entertainment Company behind them, I guess what I'm saying. Yeah, That's not yet. People... I think
0: there are some, let's call it, like, mainline romance, mm. I think, or mainstream romance. We are getting
1: into the, the one of the interesting romance
0: yeah it's hard to right this is an interesting situation also like there are probably gay characters who show up in other romances that aren't classified as lgbtq romance like all kinds of caveats about how these numbers are arrived at but if we were going to be looking for a romance author who could approach Mm. the sanderson verse the sander verse yeah that's where we're going Sander sander verse um i think it would be i mean really probably somebody on the order of like Debbie McCumber, like, or yeah, right. maybe, yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe fair. a decade ago, Shirley, Charlene Harris is that her name? Who did the um, Sookie Stackhouse books yeah. that um, True Blood was based on? Somebody who was super popular over like a decade or two, um, with a like mainstream, and, and at that point like, older audience. And this is not to, like, I consider LGBTQ romances to be an important part of mainstream romance. So, like, do not get me wrong. The way publishing talks about them, though, is as a silo of its own. And that's sort of what we're looking at here is that this is booming. And 740% increase over five years is a huge increase. It also still only represents 4% of the romance titles bought. So we're talking about, like, 21 million romance books sold last year And four percent of them were featuring primarily LGBTQ characters, so there's a lot of headroom there. Maybe Mm -hmm. Casey McQuiston, 10 years from now, um, would have the kind of like readership built up over time. Um, either folks being attached to particular characters that appear over time, or universes like Bridgerton is an interesting case, or even like the way that sarah mclean's stories a lot of romance series that are expansive in the way that mm. character they have their own universes as well where characters show up in multiple stories or a side character in this book becomes the heroine of the next book like i think you need something like that that readers are hooked into beyond just i like this authors i like their name i recognize them um, and a, a more well known right now to be anywhere close to well-established enough to be a romance author doing what Sanderson is, has done. I think you would need to have been popular. Like right now you would already need to have been popular for many, many years.
1: Yeah. I think that's absolutely fair. Um, If I, is this catch up? Why, right? Why Mm -hmm. is this happening now? I think is an interesting question. I think there's a lot of things at work is that the romance community, romance reading community is an active active and activist community. So I think some energy behind this has really helped people want to see themselves. There are people there's more of these probably, I guess that's the, that's the base case I was interested in is like, okay, are, are also the number of titles available up 740% Mm -hmm. are people buying these books out of scale with other things they might see. I think that's entirely possible. Um, This article pins or looks for a meaningful, Moment to be the popular the publication and popularity of Red White and World, Royal Blue by Casey mm-hmm. McQuiston, which was an outlier. It's one point yeah. three million copies sold in print to date on a fifteen thousand initial print run. So that tells you they didn't know what was going on with that. <laughs> that was twenty nineteen, but then they're like, "Well, TikTok." Well, TikTok was book talk wasn't no. a thing in twenty nineteen. So I, I don't know. I have yes a theory. No. Yeah, okay,
0: no. I think this is partially about culture just evolving and more folks being comfortable with gay people exist in the world. Queer people exist in the world. You don't have to be a queer person to relate to a love story about queer people. We are all people and we all need love. And these are Mm -hmm. fun, interesting stories to read. And I think it's in addition to publishing catching up and starting to produce more of these titles and realizing that it is good for business marketing around romance novels has really shifted at, at about the same time that red white and royal blue came out. I don't think it was the first one but a romance novel cover is not like Fabio in a clinch with a woman in a bodice type yes. you know Regency yep. dress anymore these look like other genres uh, like they just look like gen- general fiction. most of uh, many of these are illustrated covers rather than something clinchy at all. Um, I think they're being marketed. More often as rom-coms than as romances necessarily, Mm -hmm. which reaches a wider audience. It helps overcome some of any remaining stigma about reading romances or like every now and then if I if I actually like talk to the person sitting next to me on a plane about what we're reading, you get people who are like, well. I like to read smut, but I don't want anyone to know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, and if you're one of those people who's worried about somebody's perception of your reading, holding the cover to red, white and Royal blue, or scrolling through this, you know, like the, um, Devon and Chris plan a wedding that looks like a fun rom-commy cover Payback's a witch. You can't even tell that that's a romance. I was going to say, I, it's it.
1: interesting to parse this um eight cover grid that's yeah. the featured image of this New York Times post because it runs the gamut. And I'm not going to say high to low because I don't think it's that simple or that useful. But one, there's a Harlequin special edition cover, The Nights on Knockbridge Lane by Rowan Parrish, which is two dudes uh, in a wintry setting on a bench getting ready to kiss. That part is. New, you wouldn't have seen that twenty years yes. ago, but would you have seen it with a cover like this and you would have seen it at the drugstore for $3.99? Like this is I think if if people have biases against romance, it maybe starts with something like this. And then it moves mm-hmm. to this Erica Ridley cover, The Perks of Loving a Wallflower, which is a historical romance, right? It's people yes. now these are women, but you would have seen something quite similar. And then How to Find a Princess by Alyssa Cole, quite similar, but it's two black women. So there's and then all the way onto the other side of the spectrum paybacks of which which looks like kind of upmarket commercial fiction maybe yeah. I don't think you'd mistake it you it could be literary fiction with a capital L but it's not how you're going to package a Rachel Cusk book or something like that it's just not but it does you could be told that it's commercial sci-fi fantasy or something else like that this illustrated red white and royal blue cover this trend I would I'd love to know if anyone knows out there where this picked up, my sense is that might have been the wedding date, Jasmine Guillory. That's even a little before. Yeah. But and this the was Helen... a new, seems to me, a new to me way of packaging romance yes. that is, I think rom comier is the right way to think about it. It's, it. it's sort of signaling that it's not, or maybe it still is. It's signaling to you something different than this Perks of Loving a Wallflower. Cover And maybe I'll leave it at that, because I'm a little out of my depth here. I've Mm -hmm. read Red, White, and Royal Blue. I've read One Last Stop. I've read some Alyssa Cole. I've read some Sarah McLean, but I can't say that I'm an expert in romance. But it seems to me the positioning is different. That's the piece that this doesn't talk about, this piece, interestingly.
0: Yeah, I think romance publishers are finding out that there is a much bigger appetite and Mm -hmm. interest in reading these kinds of stories than... They maybe would have known from the like traditional romance readers who would have picked up um, something that looks like The Lights on Knockbridge Lane yep. by Roan Parrish, which you mentioned here, like that cover looks like a movie still from a Hallmark holiday show and and just 10 years ago it would have been a hetero couple on the cover Mm -hmm. and that's a particular kind of reader that is traditionally i think what publishing has thought of as the romance reader and the idea of what a romance reader is and that you can sell these books to people who aren't just capital r romance readers but just want to read a fun and interesting funny story in many cases and there is a, a much i think Broader spectrum, the, the gamut is bigger, like The Perks of Loving a Wallflower looks like a Regency romance. It's featuring two women. So you got to kind of be down for a romance novel to get in there. But Paybacks a Witch doesn't look like a romance. One Last Stop doesn't look like what we would think of as traditionally a romance. And I think that's intentional and smart, that it expands the idea of what romance is and also welcomes other readers into the genre in a way that is much less like judgmental and stigmatizing about what romance means or what it is to be a romance reader than than people used to talk about like 10 or 15 years ago when we started book riot, it was like, Mm. other than smart bitches, trashy books, there was very little happening in mainstream literary culture that validated romance as, you know, just as good and interesting and an important a part of reading culture as any other genre. And this looks like publishing catching up to like, Ooh, who else can we get here? These are just good books. How else do we get people Mm -hmm. to enjoy these? Yeah.
1: There's a quote in this from Ann Talberg, who's a publishing director at St. Martin's Publishing Group. We go to great lengths to package books so that we will connect with the widest possible audience mm-hmm. and not get tied up by this nudiness factor. So that's the mm-hmm. cover design stuff. It's like maybe it's almost, it's not quite the same, but it's not so different than have using a pen name or uh, in the older days, and I don't know if this is still happening, a woman writing a mystery or a thriller going by her initials. Yeah. Right? Just to kind of yeah. like short circuit an existing bias. Yeah. Um, of some kind. Uh, the end of the article is about how, you know, how tropes are a feature, not a bug of, of mm-hmm. romance, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that's especially true for LBTQ+. It was kind of a, it applies to all romance, I think, or or d- there's nothing particular to LBTQ romances or especially, tropes are especially useful, but it is interesting to remember um, that people tend to seek out, or, or it's an established pattern in romance reading, that you like to read some particular sub... Genre of, of romance. And so that LGBTQ falls into something that TikTok and algorithms are good at is picking up a slight interest and magnifying it and yes. surfacing something. So I think the specificity and tropiness of romance that may be in the hindrance for it in a certain publishing environment a TikTok-derived algorithm one, which all you need is a little bit of interest, and it can really get magnified and can accelerate a cultural change because you just need to pick up a little thread and really pull it and pull it and pull it. And suddenly by pulling that thread, you don't have a big pile of yarn. You've actually got a sweater on the other side. Actually make something as you pull on those threads. So I think that's a particular feature of these particular smaller audience communities getting a chance to break out and you know for all of my own reticence we we did have a couple of emails about stop talking about TikTok you don't know what you're talking about. Fair. That's fair. <laughs> um but I do think there's something here uh that that's super interesting. So anyway, go check it out. It's a really good piece. Um the kind of the kind of coverage that I'm glad the Times mm-hmm. does. Right? Remember remember God, I don't know what year it was, um, when there was a cover of the New York Times book review about romance. It was a big deal. And we cover <laughs> and on the show. And it was written by like <laughs> And an written 85 by someone who doesn't read romance. Guy. Yeah, I know. Right. So this I do remember pre- that. Harris here doesn't position herself. She's a reporter. She's not positioned a good or bad or what's going on. Just like, they're selling. What does that mean? Uh, or not even what it means, but why? What are people saying about it? So that was pretty... Um, interesting there too i'm so speaking of people getting a break i'm so glad to see taylor jenkins reads uh debut <laughs> novel uh this
0: <laughs> someone's finally now, paying attention to her <laughs> they're
1: finally finally paying attention she's been toiling in the dark uh for for many years um that is going to netflix um i don't know what else to say
0: Seven husbands. Which which of her debut novels is it? It's the Seven right. Husbands of Evelyn yeah. Hugo. Yeah, I things have just been stacking up that at some point I'm going to have to read this Taylor Jenkins read novel. And it'll probably. I to you be and
1: adaptation. Danica talk about the Crawdads trailer for a few
0: minutes. <laughs> yeah, how was that for you?
1: I well, clearly I don't know anything because I, I wouldn't have acquired that book, nor would I have guessed it's to be the publishing phenomenon of the last three years. There, I said it. I don't know what to say. Congratulations to the crawheads out there. Um, I think the the mood of that trailer is really weird. Mm-hmm. Like, what genre is that supposed to be?
0: That's, that was the most interesting part of talking to Danica yes. about it, because yes. going in, she was like, I don't know much about this. And I, I was thought like, that great. was awesome. tell me but the like it looks like nicholas sparks meets something else the mood is very weird of it and i don't i'm not gonna spend theater money to go see that but at some point i'm gonna like spend a friday night watching that just to see how bad it is maybe it it seems like it wants to
1: be half gone girl and half the notebook
0: yeah exactly like and that like gauzy. I guess the marsh itself is neither and,
1: land nor water, so maybe it's not a surprise that we're in some weird. Limbo I tried
0: space. to. I'd spent a little time trying to tease out: does it just look like Nicholas Sparks? Because it visually looks like Nicholas Sparks, yeah. like he has a lot of stories set, you know, in that same kind of coastal. A lot southern of reeds. A lot of
1: reeds and Nicholas right. Sparks. <laughs>
0: you know, but there is a lot of romancy. There's a lot of romancy, like soft, focused stuff mm-hmm. happening in that trailer, and right, and then there's the courtroom framing of is this Gone Girl? Is it To Kill a Mockingbird? Yeah. What's going on here? I think it will be very interesting to see because the book also felt confusing in that way. Like it's yes. been a couple years since we read it, but it did feel like, am I, is this a, a, a romance? Is this a courtroom mystery? Is it what, is it trying to be both? What? What to expect, you know, and because romances have particular tropes that you can expect, like a happily ever Mm -hmm. after and and a mystery, you're going to get the answer at the end. Like, what are what's my framework of expectations? And it was not unsettling, but it it was hard to know what to ask from the book. Yeah, Um, right. Well, movie. and it's I not and the movie conveys that. Yeah.
1: I don't want to make I don't want to make it sound like something can't be an unexpected combination because that's kind of what creates. movie. Oh, sure. As You look at yes. something like The Martian. For me, what was new about that was it was a funny survival story. Which right. I, <laughs> you know, it was a weirdly light. And I could see for some readers that not working. It's like, wait, this guy's about to die, and we're kind of laughing about it. Sometimes, like, I, there is a tonality shift that might be mm-hmm. weird. So clearly, it's resonating with readers. Clearly, you and I are non-representative of the median response to crawdads. So take that as you will, as we, uh, as Hollywood looks to us for adaptation <laughs> um, uh, s- suggestions. Maybe there, we'll get
0: really lucky and somebody on the ringer will suffer through watching it and talk yeah, about it for a couple yeah.
1: hours. Well, and it's so hard to know now. Like, is it going to succeed? What does success look like? It is not going to streaming. I think that is interesting. This is a theatrical... Yeah. Like, it, it makes pains to say exclusively in theaters... Which I think is a Um, tough ask anymore for any movie, especially one that is this IP. I mean, I guess it is. Does it have enough juice from the from the book clubs to to drive people out to the theater? Boy, I don't know, man.
0: Very skeptically watching those first couple weekend returns for and and your base case for
1: theatrical releases now has to be it's going to be bad right now. Yeah, like that. That's that the sharp. That's not even the sharp's money. That's public money that would bet on that. Um, should we go to front there's hmm. let's talk about it next week. This is Follett thing I'm interested yeah. in, but I'm not, I didn't get caught up on. Um, I want to okay. take a look at that. Let's, let's do another ad break and do frontless corner.
2: Today's episode is brought to you by penguin team in a world where the children of the gods inherit their powers. A descendant of the Greek fates must solve a series of impossible murders to save her sisters, her soulmate and her city. Descendants of the fates are always born in threes. There's one to weave, one to draw, and one to cut the threads that connect people to the things they love and to life itself. And the Aura sisters are no exceptions. There is Eo, the youngest, who uses her fate-born abilities as a private investigator. But her latest job leads her to a horrific discovery. Somebody is abducting women and setting the resulting wraiths loose in the city to kill. Now, the second book in the series, Hearts That Cut, will be on sale June 18th, 2024 this is a must read for all greek mythology and fantasy fans this is dripping with atmosphere edge with danger threads that bind weaves together a gorgeous dark tapestry of mystery faded romance and modern myth you won't be able to put this one down and that comes from alexandra bracken new york times bestselling author of lore so make sure to pick up threads that bind by kitsa hatsapolu and thanks again to penguin teen for sponsoring this episode Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books.
1: uh i had a, i read 15 books in march rebecca that's, that's a huge month for me
0: a really big month
1: I, where do you want to start i've got two i want to talk about because i got i kind of have a theme to do them okay. but why don't you go first and then I'll sure a little bit
0: uh well i have a little overlap from i think the last time that we did the show together right, you, me about you had yeah you had just read the swimmers um by julia tsuka i read it um two weekends ago now, in one sitting. Mm. It was exactly what I wanted it to be. Um, really did I, interesting. Did I do you clean on the you pitch did. for it? Did you it? did. Yeah, you did me clean on the pitch for it. Just really interesting. I liked how she was experimenting with form. It felt adjacent to Je- the Jenny Awful approach to mm. me in some interesting mm. ways. Um, but I loved the, set, the that plural narrator, the plural first person Uh, for the first half of the book and then the shift to a different perspective speaking to you kind of in second person for the second half of the book I don't want to say too much about the plot but I really enjoyed it it was interesting and different from anything else that I've read this year and I think maybe we talked about it off the show after the last time we finished recording when I I had just also finished Pachinko and I was telling you that I really really enjoyed Pachinko good book I'm watching the adaptation right now. I'm not. You can like, hear the com- butt,
1: listeners. Here it comes. Wait for it. Get out your pachinko it was, knives. Here not it even comes. butt.
0: Just I really enjoyed it, and
1: and it, okay, and it
0: was different from what I was expecting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I enjoyed it despite the fact that it was different. I enjoyed it for I just enjoyed it. It was a good book. I was I went into Pachinko I think because of all the accolades like the sort of critical praise around it expecting literary fiction like capital L capital right. F um where a lot where the writing is a lot about craft and not like not to say the book is not well crafted. It is very well crafted. That story is very well crafted and the way that She moves these people up through decades of life and keeps track of everything and it all comes together. Like, wonderful book, a great reading experience. But like on the sentence level, it didn't knock me out. And I think I went into Pachinko thinking... Like my model was like, well, Mm -hmm. it was a National Book Award finalist and there was all of this stuff around it. So I was expecting great story and big literary Mm -hmm. writing. And I just walked away like, okay, I really enjoyed that experience, but I'm still hungry for literary writing. And I wanted my next read to scratch that itch and The Swimmer's really did it. There's like no reason anybody else should read Pachinko and the Swimmers back
1: to back. (laughs) Well, (laughs) I think it's a really good contrast, right? Because Pachinko is about as well executed of a historical family epic as you're going to see. Yes. Right. It's a familiar... It's not a familiar story, but it's a familiar structure. It's a a familiar, almost a genre, almost a subgenre of literary fiction, like the historical family epic. But as a, as art writing, capital A art writing, it's not breaking a lot of ground, or it's not trying to break ground. Like something like the Swimmer is experimenting, trying something different before. What you see that's different is more about the content, right? And I think that's a fair. Mm-hmm. That's a fair approximation of like what literary fiction does writ large. It's like something about the content or the form is trying to do something different. Um, and sometimes it's when it does both that you get an epoch-making kind of a work. Um, I don't think because – I hate to think of the, the Dead Poet Society, but there's like that graph he talks <laughs> yep. about, like the importance <laughs> yep. of the thing versus the ability, you know, the execution uh-huh. of the thing. A slightly different graph, but like how different is the con- the content and then how different is the form? And mm-hmm. if they're both very different and executed well, you can get something like Ulysses, mm-hmm. Invisible Man, Ms. Dalloway. Clara and the Sun. Yes. Yeah, Clara and the Sun. Um, I think swimmers is really interesting in terms of what she's trying to do, how she's using writing to express something, but the stakes are super small. You know, yeah. it's like a swimming pool and your mom. And then for Pachinko, it's the stakes are quite big. It's many generations many different experiences in order to put that into a container it kind of plays it safe on the sentence or structural level mm-hmm. as opposed to say something like to paradise the hanyagara i think is more of a trying to high degree of difficulty and high content mm-hmm. like it's trying it's a middle piece where it's trying to do both because it's experience, these three different things future this multiple genres it's hard kind, it's very hard to do and if it's done badly, if it, the thing about that is, you know, you, you see a belly flop of someone who's doing three and a half twists off the high dive, boy, the <laughs> splashes are big, yep. right? And so I, I think that's interesting. Both of these are good books. I think...
0: Yes. I would recommend I both of them. you were maybe
1: expensing, if the swimmers were pachinko or the pachinko were swimmers mm-hmm. or whichever way, if they met in the middle, that's what you were expecting. It sounds like, that makes sense to me. Yes. I think yeah, something that yeah. sells that much won't do that. That's my opinion. There's, I think that... Your tip-off would have been it sold a bunch of copies. Yeah, I to. think
0: if I had really, really yeah. interrogated my expectations, that would have, how, how popular it was, would have mm-hmm. tipped me off, too. Because yeah. something like The Swimmers, Irene, like, this is wonderful, and also millions of people are not going to buy it because
1: Well, you it's and I are going to recommend it to our weird. mom. Right. That's the right. difference. Or my dad. Yeah. Like, you does, will recommend it, <laughs> it to each other?
0: Right, it doesn't pass the, like, Anne Patchett, Swiss mm-hmm. Army mother-in-law yes. test. Right. Yeah.
1: And that's fine. That's fine. It is. There's a lot that. of
0: great art that doesn't do that. Yeah.
1: Um, I love The Swimmers, is. too. I, I, it's yeah. in my, I think it's in the running for my favorite reading experience of the year so far. And parse oh, my words yeah. all you want there. Because it does something different. I was <laughs> mm-hmm. into it. I could do it in one sitting. And I feel like yeah. I'm going to have an impression of that experience linger with me uh, for a while. Uh, my, my theme for two books I'm going to highlight are two books I just liked okay. Which is okay. weird to say. I'm going to highlight them here. But the thing that they have in common is I feel like they were both the wrong genre. Mm. Which is interesting. So one okay. is Tell Me Everything by Erica Krauss, which we talked about before, yep. which I know you did. And I'm going to speak from my own reading experience. I like this book. I think mm-hmm. my problem, and it's my problem, I feel like, is that from the beginning, I didn't buy it. And okay. the thing I didn't buy initially was the experience Krauss says about herself as people just tell her stuff. And oh. I'm going to say, and it's my own hang-up, right? What I found myself struggling with, and I don't usually feel myself struggling with as a nonfiction book, is suspension of disbelief. Like, okay. I had to get over this idea. like, is this real? Is this a real pattern? Like, because it feels more like a superpower. And it felt to me, and, I, and maybe it's because that's something I knew about her, is that she's a fiction writer by trade. It's like, this is something a fiction writer would do. And mm-hmm. then a lot of the people are anonymized, which I think is fair, but also it adds this level of... How much of this is writerly writer stuff going on? How much of okay. this is flourishes on the deal because we don't know the? And then the, the the lawyer that she works for feels like a character in a book rather than feels like a character rather than a person. That's very fair. That kept happening fair. to me.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's fair.
1: And I and I I, I believe I believe the book. I think Kraus maybe. Is it it better? Would it have been better as a novel? I don't know. Does it take away the thing that maybe got me to it, that it's a quote-unquote true story? I don't know. But I felt like the book was trying to be more novelistic in a Mm. way that I bumped up against. That's my my experience of the book.
0: I think that's really interesting for that one. and. Thinking about it through that lens, it does seem like she could... I mean, my favorite parts of that book were when she started talking about learning to be strategic in yeah. getting people to tell her things. That shift from people just tell me stuff to like actually learning how to elicit certain types of information from people and how to intentionally make them feel comfortable and what kind of language to use with different kind mm-hmm. of folks and what kind of cues to pay attention to and how they spoke. And it's like, I, I think you're right. I kind of wanted it to be either... A straight up like here's how I did yeah. this, or she something said, closer she to said, she said, right? Something mean, like she said. yeah, something yeah. like something like she said, or something like you're not listening, mm. where um she where like we got you know the like lead interrogator of the CIA talking about here's how you get right. people to say things, and here's how to listen to them, and. Yeah, I, I also, I enjoyed that book. I think it, it does for me also fall in the like, I liked this, okay. It's not going to be my favorite book of the year mm-hmm. moment, but poking more at at why it wasn't great, I think you're right on for it. What's the other so one?
1: So coming from the other direction, a novel that I felt like I wanted to be a memoir was The Violin Conspiracy by J- Benjamin Slocum, which mm. is a mystery a mystery, in the premises that this um black violin player, young man, Finds, inherits, unbeknownst to him and the family, a Stradivarius. Right, ah. a ten million dollar Stradivarius, and he becomes a professional musician. the The inciting action of the book is this thing gets stolen, and then that's mm-hmm. at the very beginning. And then we f- we spend the next couple hundred pages flashing back to tell the kid's story. Well, Benjamin Slocum himself is a black classical musician. I felt like I felt like it was all packaged. I always wanted the straight dope of that. I wanted Lab Girl of this guy. That's what I wanted. That's what I found. The the stuff that was most interesting there, I was like, your story is more interesting than this package of who stole the violin and who's going to give it $10 million in Bitcoin in this case and blah, blah, blah. The flashback that was fictionalized, I think, was the core interesting piece to me. And I wanted the real scoop there. I wanted that piece.
0: Well, I have some good synergy for you because the Mm. other thing from Front List Corner that I'm reading right now is Susan Cain's new book, Bittersweet.
1: Bittersweet. Is it good?
0: It is good. It's about okay. why we, why longing and sorrow are good for us. Basically, okay. now first of all, it makes a lot of sense to me that people are not talking about this book as the way that they were talking about Quiet, where mm. like Quiet came out and all of a sudden everybody in the world who you know doesn't love loud parties was like, Yay, finally representation for introverts, and no one is responding to Bittersweet as like representation mm. for sad girls, um, but it's it is about why those experiences are not just important for you know the meaning of our lives but why they feel good like she sort of starts with like why do I love listening to sad songs why do mm. why is Lennon Cohen everyone's favorite why do we all know the words to hallelujah but one of the stories in the book is that she has a dear friend who was a violin prodigy who came to own a Stradivarius and then at some point it was stolen and it puts this woman's whole life into a tailspin, losing this violin that she felt was Mm. sort of her like soulmate in terms of her life's purpose. Um, And I was I wanted also like give me a whole book about this woman so maybe she can get together (laughs) with the author of your novel and they can do a memoir situation about that maybe now we need like a a history of Stradivari and 10 thefts
1: (laughs) i I, listen the stuff about the 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 12 pages or so that are about like having the violin um appraised and uh, i was like okay but i'm interested in everything i think what's interesting to me in this front list foyer someone said you said this and use that rather than frontless corner so i'm going to take that the (laughs) thing i like about this front list foyer exercise is i'm reading more stuff that it's less clear it's going to be a home run for me yes you know Mm -hmm. And then I also find, if it's not a home run, why? You know, articulate it. Because that gets me out of the, I liked it, I didn't, I only, you know, kind of a survivorship bias in, you know, Mm -hmm. peer-reviewed journal kind of stuff. Like, can I articulate why, can I explain to something why, It you know, say something interesting about the book and try not to just slam it. Because I don't think either of these books are inept in any particular way. I, I just found myself, like, if I were, edit, if, as a reader, what's my perfect version of what I feel like the core of yeah, this thing it's is?
0: it's a good framework. And it's like a, it's
1: hard, man. It makes me appreciate in a way that I have appreciated with my head but not my heart how mm-hmm. hard it must be to write a full book and decide what to do and then to edit it and to acquire it. Yeah. Um, if I had read Benjamin Sloka as an acquiring editor, would I have been, like, how about Violin Boy? You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> Lab or whatever the equivalent, like... Is that something that was interesting or would that book not sell? And this book is selling relatively well because it's mystery thriller and people are picking it up. So both are both are interesting and they might find the right kind of reader. But for me, I was like, oh, I don't want a hot fudge sundae. I want a brownie with this like Mm -hmm. that's kind of what I'm finding myself I want the
0: like docu version of how the heist to steal the Stradivarius got planned you know something like that and I think that says Um,
1: something about me as a reader which I'm more interested than maybe most in process kinds of stories right and both Mm -hmm. of these I found the process very interesting and the stuff that got in the way of the process I wanted stripped out so there we go That's my frontless corner for this one.
0: What can I ask? What your. Did you have any home runs in March?
1: (sighs) Mm. Home runs? Home runs.
0: Yeah, yeah, home runs. It's okay if not.
1: I think the swimmers was the closest, but again, the scale is so small, it's hard to call it a home run. Mm. Right.
0: Yeah, it's like a really good double.
1: Yeah. Or it's the wrong metaphor, right? It's like actually a really good pitch almost. Like it's a right. perfect slider on the outside corner. It's like yeah. if you could do that for a whole game, that would be a perfect game. But you know what? That's hard um, to do. So as a, I, I guess on a sentence-by-sentence sentence level, as a thought experiment, literary writing level, that, that was my favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, I read a lot that I, I liked. I mean, I guess I started off the month, I think, with the 90s. So probably that's my favorite. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. if I had to save one read, I guess that's probably where it goes because I want that under my belt.
0: Yeah, got to keep the Klosterman.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, also, and also I came out of, well, you know what? Actually, I'm, I have my theme for our next Frontless Foyer. I have a theme for you, <laughs> okay. which is what to do, the reading I did after I read too many sad books in a row accidentally.
0: <laughs> but I've been there, so we yeah. can do that together. We'll do that yeah. next
1: time too. <laughs> Rebecca, thank you so much. Bookriot.com slash listen for show notes. You can email us at podcast at bookriot.com. I should say next week, we're really kicking off a hot, season of releases. We get the Candy House and we get the new Emily St. John book. I want to shout out your your friend and one of my writers that I follow, Megan. You want to say something real quick? It came out this week. I'm going to Powell's tonight to buy it.
0: Do it. One of my dear, dear friends, Megan Mayhew Bergman's new collection of short stories, How Strange a Season, came Mm. out this week on March 29th. It is wonderful, um, dark and in places kind of Southern Gothic feeling about all sorts of things but rage particularly rage that women feel um, environmental issues complexities of relationships Uh, my favorite piece in the collection is about um, a couple who inherited like a big dig site in the desert and rich dudes come out and pay money to try to, you know, use the giant dirt digger situations and think they're going to find stuff. Um, She's interrogating masculinity and meaning and uh, all sorts of good things. It's really hard to encapsulate, I think, especially a collection of short stories. But it's one of those books where it was like, man, if you weren't my BFF, I could really like do (laughs) some big endorsements for this. It's really, really wonderful. Um, That's out now. So I'm glad you're going to go pick it up, Jeff. And before we end the show, I do Mm. just want to let listeners know. So this, our show, you know, is coming out on Monday. If you're listening to it, first thing you're hearing this on Monday, tomorrow, Tuesday, watch the feed. We're going to have a special drop-in sample for you of another podcast that we are fans of that we want to share with you. So pay attention for that.
1: Rebecca, thank you so much. As always, we'll talk to you next week.